Hi everybody, this is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisce about doing the Ill Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. Real stories, real stories, real people. I just can't believe it. It was one of the most exciting times of my life. It's just, I just can't believe that it happened to me. Me winning the lottery. I just can't believe it. Real stories. Real stories. Real people. Winning the premiership was awesome. Felt great holding the truth. So it happened when I was 15, and it was pretty scary at the time, but you know, looking back, I. I think I donent a lot. It's my life. Hello, good afternoon and welcome to It's My Life, where we talk to local people and hear some of their incredible stories about their lives. I'm Carenza and of course I'm joined by my fantastic co-host this afternoon, Kim. How are you going, Carenza? I'm very good, Kimmy. Well, today our special local guest keeping us company for the next hour is Phil Wall. Now, you may remember um, Phil from a little while ago when we chatted to both Phil and Ron from the Chelsea SES. Well, it seems that Phil had a very, very interesting story to share so we absolutely had to get him back so welcome back into the studio today phil it is absolutely sensational to be here after a few false starts we got there in the end we did we (laughs) did so apart from his amazing work with the fantastic chelsea ses phil has led quite the life now phil has spent almost 20 years performing in melbourne including on television at various live venues and touring with overseas artists including herman's hermits Freddie and the Dreamers, Debbie Reynolds, Phyllis Diller, and I'm gonna I'm sure I'm gonna say this name wrong. Jose Feliciano. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, as a singer and songwriter back in 1999, Phil, along with his friend John Mole, came up with the idea to write the theme song for our very own rugby league team, Melbourne Storm. Their song, We Are the Storm, became the official Uh, club's anthem and it seems that we're going to have a great guest today radio guest because back in 2012 phil had the opportunity to co-host a morning radio show on community radio rppfm called friday on my mind now the pair made history when for the very first time ever in australia they broadcast a full live recreation of the historic 1938 orson wells production of war of the worlds in front of a live audience to celebrate halloween Phil has lived in Bayside, Chelsea for almost 50 years and has been a volunteer member of the Chelsea SES unit for 19 years. In 2010, Phil was named Victorian Central Region SES Volunteer of the Year and in 2019 he was awarded the National Medal by the Commonwealth Government of Australia for 15 years service to the community. Also he received his 15 year long service medal from the Victoria State Emergency Service. He holds the position of Deputy Controller for Community Engagement. Phil and his wife Mary Ann have been married for almost 40 years and have a daughter Kimber who has Down syndrome and a son Dave who also runs sorry who runs his own carpentry business in the local area so we've got a lot to talk about with you this afternoon Phil and it's fantastic as you said a few full starts but we've managed to get you back in the studio this afternoon and it's fantastic to be here a couple of quick things 
this is how many false starts. We now have been married for 40 years. Wow, that's <laughs> so, good. So we had our 40th anniversary, which was great. And we actually, we did a, an amazing thing. We were trying to think, we were talking about buying each other gifts. And after 40 years, it was like, what? we don't need anything. There's nothing we want for. Mm-hmm. So we came up with the idea of, Marianne said, I'd love to do raw and snore. Oh, which is amazing at the Melbourne Zoo. Yep. So we went and stayed overnight for at the Melbourne Zoo for Roar and Snore. Best anniversary ever. It was fantastic. So it is fantastic. I've done that too, and so is Carenza, I yeah. believe. I have, so I, have, I did it in the winter. So yeah. Yeah. I think it might have been a bit nicer maybe in the summer. Well, we did it. It was a beautiful balmy night, and um, you know we. It was just a wonderful, wonderful mm. event all round. I, I, I think it's highly underestimated. It was um, one of the highlights of um, the last decade for me, that's oh, for sure. Absolutely. Be- best night ever. It was mm. fabulous. And I have to say, Kimba, my gorgeous darling daughter, yep. um, has Downs. Yep. And Kimba is part of a sensational dance group, um, dance group, theatre group, called the BAM All-Stars, which... Are based or the the lady who began the whole thing is based right here in Karen, and they actually now have a show on Radio Karen. They do indeed on Thursday mornings between ten thirty and eleven thirty, called the Radio Rampage. Wow, fantastic! We'll have so, to keep plugging that one. Karen. Well, see now I can, now I get to go home because mm. my daughter threatened me with all th- sorts if I didn't give it a plug on it. So. <laughs> Well yeah, done, Dad. I've done, done the deal. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let's start talking about your career in entertainment. So when did it all start for you? <sighs> well, I guess the the funny the funny way things happen. Um, when we came from the UK, my, we came out, my sister um, and her husband, two kids were already here, so we came to them. But my brother and I didn't, you know, all of our friends, obviously, from when we'd grown up, were still in the UK. So, like all brothers, we used to argue and everything else, as you do. But when we came here, we really had each other and that was it. And Steve played bass guitar and I played guitar and we both sang a little bit. Mm -hmm. So we sort of did that as a bit of fun, Mm. you know, to, to amuse ourselves when we came and we didn't really know anybody else. So we did it for a while and then we started getting a bit better at it and... Then somebody actually said to us, um, can you do this this job? And it was at the Forester's Arms Hotel in Oakley and it was a three-hour job. Now, that sounds pretty okay, except that we only had two hours of material. So <laughs> we worked out that we could do two sets that we did songs one after the other and then the last set would be because the songs went down so well in the first two sets, we've had requests to do them again. <laughs> Great idea. Very clever. And, Very and nice. it, was, it was basically going to be the shortest ever career in music, ever, ever. Um, to say it wasn't good, <laughs> well, it, it's probably underestimating good. Um, so this was on the Saturday night. On the Monday, I got a phone call. And a guy said, um, hi, I saw you at the Forester's Arms on Saturday. Oh, yeah, Saturday night. And I thought, God, it's starting blackmail calls already. <laughs> and the guy said, you didn't sound very good. And I thought, well, thank you. I mean, we knew that. He said, but you looked all right. You looked good. So I'd like you to do a television show on oh. next Saturday. And I nearly fell over. And, and I'm thinking, 
you know, this can't be serious. Mm. Turned out this guy was a producer for Channel 7 and it was for a, a morning show that they were doing called Do It. Mm-hmm. Now, Do It was um, hosted by um, a comedian, uh, well, comedian magician named Ian Buckland and Molly Meldrum. Oh, wow. So Good old Molly. It was so long ago he was Ian Meldrum. Wow. So I love Molly. Molly and, and Ian Buckland were, were hosting the show and we went on and we did the first show. So you can imagine we were terrified mm. because it was all live. Yes. So we were terrified. So we went on and we did the first show and when we finished, the, the producer came over and saw us and he said, yeah, that was that was great. Thank you for that. And then about two days later, we got a phone call to say, uh, we'd like to book you for next week. And That's we thought, amazing. Wow. That's fantastic. And we ended up doing six out of the first seven weeks. And it just took off and was it was fabulous. And what was wonderful, which was, I guess, the unexpected surprise element of that was the fact that Molly was one of the hosts. Mm. You can imagine the lineup of people that they had going through yeah. there. So we used to get to meet all these different people and we were, I remember clearly we were there one morning and uh, they said, oh, this is this new American band coming in today called the Jacksons. And I went, <laughs> oh, okay, cool. And there were these two annoying little kids. The, the guys were great and there were two annoying little kids, which was Michael and Janet. That's amazing. Fancy meeting <laughs> and, those two. And there they were. And you sort of think, yeah, who, who could have known? And one one of the shows, uh, we were performing a song called Daniel. And um, again, live. And we played the introduction. And as I looked up, Elton John, who wrote the song, was standing mm. behind the cam- one of the cameras. Oh, and no. you then got to sing it. Yeah, the next in three front minutes of him. Live. And it was amazing. And things like that mm. could only happen when Molly's around. Because, yeah. you know, these people... They don't go to those shows because it's something good for them. They go because Molly's a friend. Mm. So yeah. yeah, that was it. Was the most amazing six, seven weeks. It was fantastic. So how old were you? Um, oh God, I would have been early twenties. Gee, I guess. And yeah, you you know, it's it's those unexpected things that you mm. have no idea are going to happen, no. and then they they're just there out of the blue. And then from there, we sort of picked up some different jobs and then we got more jobs and more and in the end we were sort of working as a duo and then later a trio six nights seven nights every week all over melbourne at different you know everywhere from pizza parlors to reception places to you know doing the coles checkout chick of the year type thing (laughs) and all, all stuff like that so it was amazing great how cool so um now in the intro we talked about that you've how did that transition then because you've toured with overseas artists and things too what was the kind of link how did that well like that start well we got to a point where um steve made the decision he was getting married um and thought he wanted to settle down he'd always been involved in the he's a plumber he'd always been involved in the building industry so he decided to go back into that um and i was just never going to walk away from it and mm. so I, I said well I, I'm going to try try solo I'm, you know give it a go 
and it was a bit a bit tough at the start because everybody knew us as as a group. Yes. Well, initially, we were called Take Two, and then we were called Magic when we got a, a third person in because it's a bit stupid to call three people Take, take Two. two. Um, but so when we when I went solo, it took a little while to to build things up, and then of all things, I did um, New Faces. Mm. Um, Is that with Bert? With Bert. Yeah. So I did New Faces with Bert, and I did a couple of songs that I'd written myself, and. Um, and a very funny story. One of the songs I played on there was a song called Time Race. And, you know, that song we were talking before we came on air about the funeral of a very dear friend from mm. the SES very recently. And they chose that song with me singing that song to be the final musical tribute for the day. It was amazing. So something from forty, nearly 40 years ago. But, yeah, so I, I was doing stuff solo and... At the time, I had a, a manager named Peter Cooper who was a great guy. And one day, our, again, all these things, you know, you can try and plan things, but they they never work out. It just comes out of the blue. He said, um, I put your name down for something and you're on the shortlist. And I said, oh, yeah, what's that? And he knows or knew what a huge music fan I was of music theatre and, and like the MGM musicals mm -hmm. and all that stuff and a movie fan and he said um, shortlist to tour with Debbie Reynolds and I nearly fell over and yeah, it was the well it was the longest two weeks ever waiting to find out and then the phone rang one day and I just started talking and I'm talking and talking and he said do you want to know or not I said I don't know <laughs> He said, trust me, you want to know. I said, all right, what is it? He said, yes, you're doing it. You're, you're oh doing Melbourne and Adelaide. So we did, I think we did five shows in Melbourne at the concert hall and then we did two night, uh, one night with two shows at the Adelaide Festival Theatre in Adelaide. And it was amazing. She was amazing. To, to meet her and have the opportunity to talk to her about different things. I remember one day saying to her... Um, when you made Singing in the Rain, did you have any clue that it was going to be as big as it was, mm -hmm. you know, like all these years later? And she said, when I made Singing in the Rain, I think she was 19, and she said, I didn't know what to wear. I didn't know what to dress in. So she said every morning, the, the way the studio system worked, every morning she had a, a small apartment about 10 minutes' drive from the studio. So she would, they would send a car at 4 a.m. car would arrive... And in the car would be hairdresser, makeup, wardrobe. They would lay out everything down to her underwear. She would then get dressed. They would do her hair. They would do her makeup. She would get in the car, drive the 10 minutes, and then get out of the studio, get out of all the clothes, have all the makeup taken off and have her hair washed because they were no good for the movie. And the whole point was that Sam Goldwyn said, if you are an MGM star you will look like a star wherever you go. Wow. So the idea was if somebody happened to be staggering down the street at 4 o'clock in the morning and, and saw her, her yep. they would say, wow, she's she, a movie star. She couldn't leave home in a tracky jacks then. Well, I mean, I mean if you think Incredible. about today, I mean, mm. he probably turned mm. in his grave and he could see, wow, yes. some of them today. today. That's yeah. right. But so, so that was the first one I did and then from there I, I did um, Jose Feliciano, which, mm -hmm. was, which was wonderful. Um, uh, and then after that came um, the <laughs> being a, a child of the 60s and growing mm -hmm. up in London 
my music was, you know, the Beatles and Hermits mm. Hermits yep. and Freddie yeah. and the Dreamers. And I'll never forget, I, I was touring with Freddie and the Dreamers and we did a country tour of Victoria and we came back and they popped in. They were going to pop in to our house. My wife and I had a, a half a house, the upstairs of our house, right on the beach. And they were going to pop in and have one quick drink. This was 11 o'clock in the morning on their way back to their hotel. So Mary Ann didn't know they were coming. So you can imagine how popular I was. <laughs> and she said, so one drink went from one drink to, I think they ended up leaving about four the next morning. <laughs> and there are pictures reportedly somewhere around the world of Freddie. Now I want this to get very quiet. Yes, of course. Okay. We'll Don't tell anyone. Freddie was <laughs> stark naked with his jocks on his head singing Beatles songs with me in our kitchen. <laughs> and it was a dream come true oh, for wow. a young boy from London who grew up in the 60s just watching these blokes on, you know, Ready, Steady, Go and Top of the Pops. Yeah. That, amazingly, that led to him going back to the UK and he was friends with Herman's Hermits and they said, we're coming to Australia. And he said, you should use this guy. He's, he's cool, he's, you know, he's a mm -hmm. fun guy. And so they phoned and said, yeah, we'll have this bloke. And I did end up doing three tours with Herman's Hermits. And it was, it, I mean, I've been absolutely blessed. Mm. It's, it's just, they've just come along, you know. And yeah. one of the last ones I did uh, was, um, um, oh, Phyllis Diller. Oh, she's an amazing comedian. Uh, oh, it, was, it was just such a wonderful night. And <laughs> she was... She was so, so lovely. She really was. And my wife had a, a necklace on. Just It was only a cheap necklace, but Phyllis Diller loved it. Mm. And Marianne took it off and gave it to her. And about six weeks, eight weeks later, we got a parcel in the post and it was a book all signed by Phyllis Diller and thanking Marianne for the... the uh, it was all sorts of things, but just, you know... Those are the things that you remember. You know, the, mm. the 40 minutes you're on stage, that's great fun. But it's all those other things that you mm. remember that are just magical things that I look back now at 66 and think... Did I really do all of that? Well, wow. Yeah. Absolutely. And and also, you know, when I, had, when I had my stroke, looking back on things and thinking, well, you know, really, if this is it, it's not been a bad go. I mean, I've, I've done things that... I would never have dreamed of doing mm -hmm. so. So yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been so, so, so lucky. Wow. So could you always sing? Were you always a singer? Did you? I had did no you have idea to I train could sing. Or? No, I had no idea I could sing. And Steve and I used to sing together, as I say, in, mm. in our bedrooms. You know, we'd we'd just be singing along, and so often members of the same family have really good harmonies. Mm. Their voices blend really well, um, and. Ours did. So then we found a drummer who also sang and luckily his voice blended really well with ours too. So we used to do all these really cool three-part hummers in those days like America, the Eagles, all those mm -hmm. sorts of things. And, it, yeah, it worked really well. But so, no, never had never had a lesson. A lot of people will tell you they could see that. Mm -hmm. um, but, <laughs> no. but, no, it was, it was just – it was just – it was fun. So was it people like, I guess, um, Debbie Reynolds that inspired, because I mean, you then later went on to write your own shows and do your own shows. Did that inspire some of that music? You talked a lot about loving the theatre and all of those things. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's a thing that I talk about to other people and I say, you know, 
you can you can be taught how to play an instrument well you can you can be taught how to be, become better at playing an instrument you can be taught how to be a better singer but no one can teach you to be an entertainer and having the opportunity to work with someone like Debbie Reynolds the thing that just leaps off the stage is what an amazing entertainer she is I mean she's got a great mm. voice and and she's a great dancer and all of these other things. But at the root of it all, she just knows how to work an audience and she knows how to work a stage. So when you watch her, you really do feel like she's in a lounge room somewhere talking to two people. Mm. You know, she's it, it's just that good at what she does. Um, and, yeah, it, it made me think I'd always been a fan of Sinatra mm -hmm. um, and my dad was a singer so I'd grown up with that sort of music so when the opportunity came along I thought I wanted to do some sort of well really for morning melodies and things like that so a one hour show and there was sort of almost no thought it was like I want to do a Sinatra show but I always I always had this thought in my mind that I could never sing in his range because it was too high for me and then, for whatever reason, I, I got some backing tracks that were the exact tracks of Sinatra, so in his key, and they worked perfectly. So, so that's that's where that came from. But you're right; it was to do with watching those greats. So we're going to go to some music now. So Phil, um, we're going to play some of your songs. So this is from one of your albums or shows, the songs from Broadway to Hollywood. Yes. Tell us a bit about this. Is the moment the song that we're going to listen to? Okay, so. I, when I do the show, I talk about the fact that, you know, in, in, in years gone by, Hollywood musicals had a very simple setup. So we had boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, boy falls in love with girl, everybody lives happily ever after. So all of a sudden, how the hell do you make a movie out of <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Mm. <laughs> um, and it has some of the most amazing songs ever. This song, This Is The Moment, comes at the end of the first act of the show and is basically the point where Dr. Jekyll takes the serum that he's been working mm -hmm. on. He takes it and it's him talking about everything has led up to this moment of him taking this serum. And then, of course, he turns into Mr. Hyde and then the second act comes along but this so this song is about that all of the work that's built up and built up and built up is about this moment mm. everything has come to this moment very powerful song yeah. as it is let alone yes. finding out what's behind it This is the moment This is the day When I send all my doubts and demons On their way Every endeavor I have made ever Is coming into play Is here and now today this is the moment, this is the time When the momentum and the moment are in rhyme 
Give me this moment, this precious chance I'll gather up my past and make some sense at last This is the moment when all I've done All the dreaming, scheming and screaming become this is the day, see it sparkle and shine, when all I've lived for becomes mine. For all these years, I've faced the world alone, and now the time has come to prove to them I've made it on my own This is the moment My final test Destiny beckoned I never reckoned Second best I won't look down I must not fall This is the moment the sweetest moment of them all. This is the moment. Damn all the odds. This day or never, I'll sit forever with the gods. When I look back, I will. was fantastic, Phil. I'm buggered just listening. That was awesome, singing in the background with you. Thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Melbourne Storm. We touched on it before. So in early 1998, you came up with the idea to write the song for Melbourne Storm after seeing them on TV and and hearing that they didn't have one. So yeah, you, it was, yeah. It was funny. I was watching, for whatever reason, I was watching um, Bert Newton's morning show. Mm-hmm. Bert's played all these little parts really along, mm. the, along the way. And he was talking to the guy who was their captain at the time. And, yeah, they were, Bert was saying, is it true you don't have a theme song? Because obviously theme songs in AFL teams are, are big news. But in mm. NRL teams, they, they were never that much. Mm-hmm. So somehow this must have stuck in the back of my mind. And my wife got up to go to the toilet <laughs> about four o'clock the next morning and I was sitting, now I'm sorry, I have to apologise before I say this, I was sitting stark naked in our kitchen at the bench writing mm-hmm. and she <laughs> she just looked at me and said, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I think I've just written Melbourne Storm's theme song because it just, I, I showed you the copy of the That's original yeah. verse and it, it literally just flowed and I had this initial thing of, 
we we live to play, we play to win, we try and try, we won't say no, we won't give in because I had no idea about mm-hmm. about rugby league. No idea at all. So I was trying to think of things about storms and and that's where it all came from. And I had an idea for how I wanted the I guess the the, the meter of the thing to go. Mm. So eight o'clock the next morning I must have finished writing, went back to bed. Eight o'clock the next morning I got up, phoned my mate John, said John, I think I've written the lyrics for Melbourne Storm theme song. You've got to write the music. When can we do it? He said, well, come over now. So I drove to Croydon to his place, <laughs> to his studio. We wrote the thing, put it down, recorded it. Then we sat down and wrote a letter because I said, look, this, who else in Melbourne is going to write a song for a rugby league team? It, it's, it's a gimme. We've got this in the bag. So wrote the letter, made up a little tacky little cover for the CD. Um, I then jumped in my car and in those days, Melbourne Storm's offices were at um, Olympic Park. So I drove to Olympic Park, went to Olympic Park, hello, I've written the song here, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you can say thanks, thank me later and give me I, a check. It was just, thank you, see ya. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, you know, I guess they'll ring on the way home or whatever. And it was almost 12 months to the day. Wow, it's a long and, time to wait. Well, weird, weird got to the stages. Oh, it's probably them now. <laughs> <laughs> Bugger off. Um, no, it was it was one of those things that was probably... Um, we got to about five or six months and then figured it's obviously not going to happen. Yeah. So it's obviously not ours. And we were then thinking, but it's going to be fascinating to see what they did pick. Mm. That was that was our, our thing, you know. That's all we thought. So so then, the phone call came, and the guy said, um, "You sent us through this." And I said, "Yeah, twelve months ago." He said, "Yeah, well, um, we'd like a meeting to take it to the next stage." And, okay. So this was I think on the Tuesday morning. On the Thursday, we had the meeting. Um, Eleven o'clock in the morning. We had the meeting there and there was executives and all sorts of high-flying people who we had no idea who they were and we sat and talked to them and and guy who was the CEO in those days, he said, who wrote the lyrics? And I said, yeah, that was me. And he said, amazing. So you're obviously a huge fan because it's like you nailed it. We <laughs> And I didn't have the heart. It was, it was literally about seven years later I said to him, you know, or I said... The only reason they are the lyrics is because they rhymed. <laughs> I had no other idea. And and so we left the meeting at about 11.30 and we got a call about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and they just said, congratulations, you've written the Melbourne Storm theme song. That was 1998. Wow. And then they re-recorded it and then they, um, they played it for the first time in the first game of the 1999 season. So... Our first year of our song was the first year that Melbourne Storm won a premiership, and I'm not saying that had anything to do with it, but but if they course, just wanted to sing your speak, song, history speaks for itself. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and now it's it's still there after all these years, and it's it's such a kick, you know. It's it's yeah. amazing to think that there's that little piece of history, which is always going to be there. It's it's wonderful. Love it. So we've, we've got to play it. So here it is. Oh, here we here go. Yeah. Ghost Stormers. The Ghost Storm, the theme song for the Melbourne Storm. We live to play, 
We play to win. We try and try. We won't say die. We won't give in. We're number one. We'll hold the line. We won't step back. We'll just attack time after time. We're lightning fast. We drive like rain. We won't be beat. We won't retreat. Ice in our veins. We are the storm from Melbourne Town. We'll blow the others on the ground. We are the storm and we're number one. We'll hit them hard. We'll take them down. When this storm hits, we'll blow the others out of town. We'll push them back. We'll make them pay. Do what it takes, make no mistakes, we'll make the play. We'll show them tough, we'll show them speed. The will to win is all we need, we will succeed. We are the storm from Melbourne Town, we'll blow the others on the ground. We are the storm and we're number one. We are the storm from Melbourne Town, we'll blow the others on the ground. We are the storm and we're number one. Welcome back to Radio Karen, where you are listening to It's My Life with Karenza and Kim and our very special guest, Phil Wall, joining us this afternoon. A shout out, of course, to the Seaford North IGA, one of our fantastic uh, sponsors, station sponsors here. So if you're out and about and you are going shopping, pop in there to the Seaford North IGA Express. Um, Great song. Um, I can see why they thought you knew a lot about rugby. No idea. (laughs) But I can say I'm thrilled. During the song, I I had to quickly go on because it's been driving me nuts. So I quickly went on to the app. And with about 10 minutes to go, Stormer playing the Canterbury Bulldogs today. And Stormer 38-0. Go Stormers. Mm. But it's interesting, you know, when the song was written, the way I worked it was what you hear in an AFL song. That's how I worked the timing out was good old Collingwood forever. Mm-hmm. So I worked out how long good old Collingwood forever was and I thought, okay, that would be perfect timing for the Storm song. When they accepted it, they said, oh, um, great, can we get a second verse? <laughs> <sighs> 
So the song's been sitting there dormant for 12 months and you just think it's finished, it's written, it's done. Mm. So that second verse, um, the second verse, which is the one that says, we'll hit them hard, we'll take them down, that was written 12 months after the first. So talk about a, a game in two so hours. You that's can a song say, You can say that's, that's the, the song to the storm took a year to write, It Phil. did. It took, <laughs> it took me a year to write. <laughs> Ten minutes <laughs> 10 minutes at the start, 10 minutes at the other end. So. I love it. Now, radio is not new for you. So I was fascinated that you, um, you've obviously been, you know, involved with your own, own radio show, um, Friday on My Mind, but you did a live recreation of Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Oh, it was, it was wonderful. You know, I, I said before about those wonderful opportunities that you get and how they come about out of thin air. So a very dear, dear friend of mine, a guy named John Wells, John and I did the show together and sadly John passed away a few years ago now from cancer and he'd been battling cancer for many years and he asked me to do the show with him and I was so pleased to, to work with him in that way. We we thought along the same lines, we had a similar sense of humour so it was it was great to do it together. And he had, his idea was Friday on my mind and the idea was that it was going to be about, you know, 80s music and a lot of Australian music. Mm-hmm. Fantastic so, music. And, and mm-hmm. you know, 60s, 70s, right through. So we we started doing the show and we started to really try to come up with other things. So when um, uh, Morris Gibb was sick, we said we should, we should do something about the Bee Gees, dedicate a show to the Bee Gees. So then I started looking into it and I found this guy whose name has totally escaped me, who was the guitarist for the Bee Gees. Mm-hmm. People forget that back then they were a band. Mm-hmm. Now, there were the three brothers, there was a, a lead guitarist and a drummer. And he was the guitarist. Toured with them, you know, he's on wow, all the records, on the covers. Mm-hmm. And we managed to get hold of him and so we spoke to him and we had a ball with him for, you know, it was just great fun. So when we were doing all of this, we were trying to think, I said one day to him, you know, we, we should look outside of just the music, some of the other things that were around in that time. And one of the things that was there through some people who became very good friends of mine and still are was Cop Shop, mm. the television show. So I said, you know, why don't we try and do a Cop Shop reunion? So that that came about. And in the studio we had um, John Orchick, um, who was... Giorgio, mm-hmm. um, and there was in Sydney. We had Paula Duncan on the radio, and of course Paula and John they were married. Were married. Mm. I sang at their wedding. Oh wow! Um, I wrote a song for them and sang at their wedding. And then we had Gil Tucker, who was Roy mm-hmm. Baker. He was in Melbourne. Uh, Joanna Lockwood, who was a dear friend, was in Sydney, and Alan Fletcher, who's of course now Dr. Carl, yeah. for the next few weeks. Few weeks. Um, he was there because he started out on Cop Shovers. Uh, Frank Rossi. Mm. So we had them and, and in, in the Sydney on the phones and down here. And it was a great show. It was a lot of fun and we got some great feedback from it. And <laughs> Wellesie said to me as we were walking out of the studios, so what are you going to do next? And I have no clue where it came from, but I said, let's do War of the Worlds. Mm. And that's, that's how it came about. Let's do War of the Worlds. So he said... Great, mm-hmm. great. What? When was it? How did it work? 
So it was coming up to Halloween. I said, if we're going to do it, let's do it 8 o'clock on Halloween, exactly as it was. Um, we got John Orchick back because John Orchick runs a fantastic school for actors. Mm -hmm. So there was John Orchick, um, there was um, Steve Bastoni and about 15 or 16 other great actors who were the cast. We then, I spent days getting all the sound effects put together. So we had a sound effects man doing all of that. We, we tried to recreate it as, as best we could. So then we invited a studio audience mm -hmm. and we had like 40 people in the audience and we got them all to dress up in Halloween gear. Um, and then all of the performers came in dinner suits and it was, it was just like going back to 1938 and, they, and we managed, because we were a non-for-profit community radio station, mm -hmm. they agreed to give us the original script. So we had the wow. original script and we used that so they were they were speaking the same words and we had it was just an amazing night and what was great was in the lead up to it two weeks before and again how this came about was the old thing you know if you don't ask you don't get mm. um and we managed to get hold of an actress named Anne Robinson Anne Robinson was in LA and she played Sylvia Van Buren alongside Jean Barry who was the female lead of the 1953 movie War of the Worlds. Wow. That's unbelievable. So she came on and was talking all about this, oh, this wow. story, about the background story yeah. of, of the whole show. We then found a, a guy who ran a, um, a coffee shop at Grover's Mill. And Grover's Mill is a little town outside of LA, which is where Grover's Mill was where it was set in the mm -hmm. movie. And as such, this little town do recreations every year. And, and so we got everybody into the spirit of it. And it was just the most magical, fantastic night. How amazing. Yeah, yeah, I loved great. that movie. I loved. I, I even liked the, the one that came later on. Yes. But um, nothing like that no, original. original was that great. was just superb. Yeah. So it never stops for you, Phil. Oh. I mean, you've had four <laughs> shows up until recently. You've had four shows on the go. Yes. Sinatra and Friends. It's all about Frank, Broadway to Hollywood and Ready, Steady, Go. Yes. The swinging 60s show. I mean, obviously you've, you've had a bit of a setback. Well, yeah, the bloody stroke got in the way and, and you know, so much has come back yeah. and for whatever reason the singing hasn't come back and it's 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 frustrating and, and I know it's in there somewhere but when I had the stroke back in July, um, I had so many massive issues. Mm. You know, when, when you're lying there and you can't move, mm. um, you can't speak, you can't breathe properly, you can't mm. swallow, um, the last thing I was really thinking about was singing. Yeah. Um, and... Even now, I'm sort of at that point at 66, nearly 67, of saying, you know, if that's the one thing that doesn't come back, so be it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm blessed to have everything else that's, that's working. But John, my, my best mate and partner in writing and mm -hmm. God knows what else over the mm -hmm. last nearly 50 years, um, he is a music teacher, he's a vocal teacher as mm -hmm. well. And He's doing some work with me and, and he seems to think that it's in there and it will come back. But it's, yeah, it's frustrating. But if at the end of the day, if, if that's the worst thing that happens, so be it. You well, know. you've done some amazing things. But just tell me a little bit and touch on those uh, shows. Uh, tell me how okay, did well, they go? Well, the original thing with um, uh, 
was was it was going to be a, a show about the Rat Pack. Mm-hmm. So, you know, featuring songs with Frank, but also Sammy and Dean Martin mm-hmm. along the line. Um, but it became so hard for me because there was so many Sinatra songs that I love mm. that I got to the point of going, oh, I've got to leave these out because you've only got a certain amount of time. So that's where All About Frank came in. Mm-hmm. And, and each of the shows... What was behind my thought was I wanted to make them theatrical. There are a lot of performers out there who are great performers, don't get me wrong, but they go on stage, they sing for an hour, they come off stage. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, you can do that with a jukebox. Yep. That's taking nothing yep. away from them, but it, that's just my, me, mm-hmm. my, my own personal thing. So the way I structured the, the shows was to tell stories about Frank stories about the songs, about the songwriters, mm-hmm. um, and try to give people an insight into the person as well as the, the amazing music. Um, and, and the great, you know, the, the fantastic big band sound as well was just, mm-hmm. it's a joy to me. It's a joy to perform with that sort, mm-hmm. of, that sort of stuff. The 60s was a gimme because it's how I grew up and it's yep. all, all of my music. And Broadway to Hollywood was sort of a gimme as well in the mm-hmm. sense that as I said to you earlier, you know, I've, I've always loved music theatre and I've loved the songs and I've loved the shows. So that was a nice counterpoint to me to do that. And having it where I could do sort of both the the big shows, Broadway shows, mm-hmm. but also some from some of the great movies that had great theme songs or, or things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it was, a, it was a, a really fun few years of doing those shows. It was great. Well, you'll have to let us know when your voice comes back because I want to oh. come along. <laughs> oh, I love the Brat Pack and uh, Sam, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., um, oh. the Mr. Bojangles, one of oh, my favourite my songs. Well, I, I saw um, a few years, quite a few years ago now, my wife bought tickets for us as a Christmas present mm. for a thing called The Ultimate Event. It was... I, see, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to do the right thing. I've written things down. Been prepared. 1989. Look at that. Well, mm. it was called The Ultimate Event at Rod Laver Arena. And it was Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. and Liza Minnelli together. Wow. But originally, it was supposed to be Frank and Sammy and Dean. It was supposed to be a, a last world trip of the Rat Pack. Mm-hmm. And they did the first two or three shows in the States and then Dean got very, very sick. And so they then had to work out mm-hmm. who they would get to, yeah. to mm-hmm. replace. And it was Sammy who came up with the idea of Liza and she, she did the shows. And my wife, God bless her, wrote to Frank. And I didn't know anything about it and she wrote to Frank. And Frank sent a beautiful handwritten autographed picture. Um, which takes brighter place next to Liza Murley um, wow. on the wall at home. So yeah, it was was amazing. But I will always remember the the chills mm. when the second half of the show at Rod Laver Arena packed, the lights went down, and just a voice from nowhere just said, "Ladies and gentlemen, the chairman of the board." Yeah, wow. And that was all the that boom. needed to be there said. There you go. Yeah. Ah. Well, the next best thing I think we can give you, Kim, is um, <laughs> is one of Phil's albums. So oh, that's this, almost as good. This is, this is the songs of Sinatra, and we're going to play all the way. Tell us a bit about this song. Phil. Okay, all the way. Um, yeah, I, I have all the ways the the ringtone on my <laughs> phone for when my wife phones me. <laughs> me singing it <laughs> is, and it's just I think it's one of the most beautiful songs that Sinatra ever recorded. I loved singing the song, but it's 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 a 
so simple. The beauty is in the simplicity of the lyric, but the lyrics are so clever. Um, it's it's a typical Sinatra classic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all you can say about it. It's it's just the the ultimate love song. Beautiful. When somebody loves you It's no good unless he loves you All the way Happy to be near you When you need someone to cheer you All the way Taller tallest tree is that's how it's got to be deeper than the deep blue sea is that's how deep it goes if it's real when somebody needs you It's no good unless he needs you All the way Through the good old lean years And for all the in-between years Come what may Who knows where the It's for sure I'm gonna love you all the It's for sure I'm gonna love you Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Karam and It's My Life with Carenza and Kim and we're chatting to uh, Phil uh, in the studio here and uh, that was a beautiful um, Frank Sinatra song, one of the many songs that Phil sung as part of the various different shows and things (laughs) that you've done over time. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful song, beautiful song. It is a beautiful song. Well, um, you know, you've done so many things. I mean, Kim and I were just laughing and, you know, in the break then saying, my goodness, you know, is there more? Is there more? Yes, there Well, is. there is more, isn't there? Because in 2020, you became oh. a marriage celebrant. Tell us about that. That all came about my wonderful, beautiful, darling wife, Marianne, 
has been nagging me. That's the simplicity, you know, simple answer. She'd been nagging me for years because I'd been doing a lot of work. While I was doing the singing, I'd been doing a lot of work as a wedding MC mm -hmm. as well. And I'd had a number of people over that time say to me, oh, my God, I wish you could have married us too. And Marianne said, you know, you should. You should do this. You should do this. And in the end, I thought, you know what, well, all right, I'll give it a go. And and the, the stupid thing was I really didn't know how long it was going to take. When I started looking into it and I realised it was basically a 12-month course. Mm. So I started work and the first thing I had to do was learn how to learn again because it had been, I hadn't done anything like that since I was at high school a thousand years ago. So anyway, I did the thing and worked, you know, worked right through the 12 months, got it all finished. Then I also did a funeral component as well, put the whole thing together. And what happens is when you've finished all that, then you have a... a you've got the bit of paper that says yes you know you can do this then you have to actually apply to the federal government to see if they'll accept you as a a, a person to be an authorized celebrant so that was another three or four months so all up mm. it was 15 16 17 months so by the time that was all finished and i then started to get all my bits and pieces together you know brochures and a whole lot of other things and then COVID hit mm. and then there were no weddings yeah. nothing nothing so so um, they're all dressed up and nowhere to go, basically. And then I thought, this is great. And I got my first wedding and I was so excited. <laughs> and then I had a stroke. Mm. Now, as a celebrant, there are many things that you could get away with. A stroke is not one of them. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, I'm, no. I remember lying in bed at the hospital thinking, so you can't walk and you can't talk. That sort of rules out. It's going most to be a bit difficult. Jobs. It's so, <laughs> just a sort little of, bit. So sort of does. I mean, they can probably wheel you in, <laughs> but someone else is still going to speak for it. So yeah, I, I basically thought that was you know well, mm. it was fun while it lasted, and that was it. Um, and since then, I've started getting back into it, and I've done a few more things. And the funny thing is, I always thought that I was so looking forward to doing marriages about. You know, it would be so good, you know, saying, and I now pronounce you, that that sort of thing. But I did my first funeral mm. and it really affected me so much to the extent of saying to my wife, I think that's what I want to do because I have this real belief that if you do it well and you do it properly, you can make a massive difference mm. to those people mm. with starting or, or moving on in the grieving mm -hmm. period. And it was something that I, I felt really strongly about. And I've I've done a few fun funerals now. And, I, yeah, I, I get so much satisfaction, which maybe sounds strange, but I get so much satisfaction out of that. It I doesn't actually great. because, you know, knowing you in the time that I have, I know that you're a, an amazing storyteller. And to tell someone's story after they've passed uh, is is an honour really, oh, isn't it? absolutely. So it's, it is absolutely an mm. honour. And... And it's, it's so much trust. I mm. mean, the family puts so much trust mm. in you to to tell that person's mm. story. Now, obviously, you know, when Tash passed and I did her, her story, mm. was the hardest day of my life but also the proudest day of my life because, yeah. because I, I knew that I was able to do it properly for her. 
And the, the greatest compliment is when people who've known these people for so long say to you after, do you know I never knew that about that person? Because you've opened another door, you've shown another part of their life. And at the end of it, it's, it's about putting all those parts together and then forming them into a story so that it sounds like you're just telling a story about somebody, not reading off a shopping list. Mm. I, I'm, no names, no pack drill, but I've been to funerals where it's like that. And it's yeah. like there is no, you know, the, the celebrant's probably a fantastic person, but there's no connection mm. whatsoever. Now, obviously, I'm not going to have a connection with everybody's funeral I do, but I think it's so important that if you create the story well enough, when you tell it, you can give people the impression that you're talking about someone that you know as well yes, as they do. Yes, yes. When I, when I started, I, I came up with this little tagline for my business cards that said, um, creating memories delivered with love. Mm, beautiful. And, and I think that that's what it was about. It's like two parts. The writing part is one part, but delivering the thing. And, of course, after the stroke, I, I didn't know that I was ever going to be able to do that again. So that was something that I was thrilled. And we were talking before about, you know, the singing. Mm. It was more important for me to get this part back. Mm -hmm. You know, we laughed <laughs> when, I, when I had the stroke and initially with, with the voice was oh, all over the place. And I remember garbling to my wife and I said, you know, she always used to say to me, if someone cut your hands off, you wouldn't be able to speak. <laughs> I said, well... You do use them a lot. I do. So I said, I said, well, I've got one that doesn't work and I'm only speaking half as well as I used to. So I think she was probably right all the way along. But, yeah, it was... It, it, again, you know, I, I keep coming back and saying this, but it really has been a blessed life. I mean, all these little things that happened along the way just so happened and it's a case of, I think, when when you see something there, grab it with both hands. Yeah. Grab it with both hands... Because opportunities don't always come along and if you miss them, mm. you've missed them forever. Mm. So it's incredible. We're coming I can't believe we're always coming to the end I know, of the yeah, time flies when we talk to you, yeah, Phil. It's it does flown. feel family is obviously really important to you. I mean I think that's oh, come through God, really yes. strongly throughout our whole conversation this yes. afternoon. Tell us a bit about your family and your kids and Well, Marianne and I, um, we met at a wedding, um, forty one years ago. So we met in the January at the wedding and we were engaged in the end of February. Oh, wow. And we were well married wind. in November. Fantastic. So 11 months from start to finish and, and there you are, mm -hmm. 40 years later and we're still hanging in there. That's great. Um, we've got two wonderful kids. Dave's a cracking fellow. He's a, a builder, carpenter. And uh, him and Chloe, his beautiful partner, have got, our gorgeous Scarlett, who's been at our place this afternoon. Mm. I was so proud because for the mm -hmm. first time I taught her to say, go Storm. <laughs> so that was that was uh, one for her dad. Um, and they're expecting their second child. So we're going to have a granddaughter and a grandson. Congratulations. Um, that will be in, in August. Um, and then we have Kimba, our mm -hmm. oldest daughter, who's 32 now and has Downs. And she is just the love of our lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's... Wow. I yeah. mean, she's she is an absolute gun. She's a go-getter. I mean, you know, she's 
I'm thrilled to say she's grabbed the performance side of. I've seen her on some of the videos on yeah. the SES. She's amazing. Yeah, well, great little performer. March has been a, a big month for the guys. So in March they did um, Mumba. They were in mm-hmm. the Mumba procession, mm-hmm. and she has this thing that attracts people. Mm-hmm. So she was in the Mumba procession mm-hmm. along with you know thousands of people. Channel Nine picked her out to interview her Fantastic. as she was walking down. The following week they performed at Werribee Park Zoo for International Down Syndrome Day. Mm-hmm. And then last Sunday, they did an amazing immersive theatre piece called Wonderland at a place called Alice Rebel Alice Rebel's Cafe in Chelsea, which is all themed Alice in Wonderland. Oh, wow. And it was packed. It mm-hmm. was full. So, you know, she's 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 got that mm. performance bug. And she is, I keep saying to my wife, she's a, she's a genuine performer. You know, mm. she'll be absolutely buggered from all the rehearsals and everything else and she's like oh i'm so tired i just want to spend the day in bed she'd get to showtime she'd go out and she'd give 120 percent, and then collapse and leave afterwards <laughs> but at that time when she's on stage and i remember they did a, a big show at the frankston arts center with bam the, the dance mm-hmm. group and they did a big show and after the show she came off stage and it was they'd had they'd missed two because of covid and she came and she said oh Dad, you've got no idea how good it was to be on that stage. <laughs> and it just it just spoke to me so clearly about yes, you know, in her own right, absolutely she's she's a performer. But No she's, wonder she's so good though. She's had you as a role model and you are the ultimate performer. <laughs> well, You're amazing. Well, let me tell you, one of the greatest things was that she used to do the Sinatra show with me. Mm-hmm. She used to do all about Frank with me and she would come up and do something stupid. Like the Frank and Nancy, oh, yes. it would be then, and um, yeah, she would come up and sing that How with me, beautiful. and that was, it, you know, always used to drive me nuts. I'd be up there, you know, working me bum off for for forty eight minutes, and she'd get on for ten minutes and sing one song. Standing and bring the ovation. Amazing. <laughs> so I constantly say as she was going, so that's it. Last time, never again. Well, but, Phil, no, thrilled. Awesome, awesome. Well, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure. We've run a little bit over oh, time. Again. Uh, yeah. Oh, again. you're going to shoot me. We did no, this look, last time. No, it's fine. Look, we just want to thank you for everything you do for your community with the SES and and giving back and and just also you know all the all the, all the years of love and laughter that you've shared <laughs> with the community with your um, singing and acting ability. Um, so you've been listening to It's My Life on Radio Karam. We've talked today to Phil Wall about some of his amazing things he's done with his life and. For our wonderful local community. So, Carenza. Yeah, well, don't forget to join us next time on It's My Life when we talk to some of the amazing local people in our community. And don't they rock? Um, so, we'll see you next time. Until then, take care and stay safe. See you later. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Freddie from Freddie's Kitchen. Let's get behind Radio Karam. Go, Karam. Tummy ache, or you don't feel right. 
Or if you have a nasty rash, keeping you up at night. Don't worry. Don't worry. About a thing. Don't worry. Because Atticus' help will make you feel all right. <laughs>